Good morning, church. If you want to grab your Bibles, I will be reading the scripture from today's sermon. It is Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When he entered Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. They came to him bringing a paralytic gathered or carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit what they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Immediately he got up took the mat and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Hey, everybody, thank God for you. I love you. I'm glad you're here. Those joining us online, I love you guys. I thank God for you. And uh, if you're here for the first time, man, we are delighted that God has brought you and you've caught us on the very front end of a spiritual adventure chasing after Jesus through the book of Mark. Action after action after action. Today, we're in chapter two, verses one through 12 that Ebony just read for us. Um, But let's pray and ask God to speak. Would you bow with me, please? Our Father, what an amazing God you are. We thank you for your written word. You breathed it. Breathe it into our hearts. We thank you for your living word, Jesus. As much God as you are God. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us now. Exalt Jesus. Bring us into closer relationship with God the Father. In the name above all names we pray. Amen. Uh, The episode today is set on the very edge of the Sea of Galilee. I've been there six or seven times. One of the biggest archaeological digs in Israel. At the time, in Jesus' time, obviously it wasn't a dig. It was a little sleepy fishing village called Capernaum. And if you would go there today with me, you can see the very streets that Jesus walked on. And as we walk away from the Sea of Galilee, kind of up a rise, what we see are row after row after row of square box-shaped houses. 
just gleaming in the sun, white stoned houses. Now, what we have to notice is that the roofs are constructed uniquely. Each roof of each house is made by intertwining, interlacing saplings and then covering them with tar, sand, mud, tar, sand, mud, and then overlaying them with clay tiles until the roof is about two feet thick. Well, one particular house on the edge of town catches our notice because it is surrounded with a swelling crowd of people. It's like everybody in town has decided to hang out at this house. On the inside, the place is packed. Standing room only. People are crammed in. And at the center of it all is Jesus. And he is preaching. He's preaching what he's been preaching for weeks in different locations, in different venues. He preaches like this, the time has come for each of you to admit your sin. Believe God loves you, not because you're so good, you're not. God loves you because he's so good. Now, the closest listeners are his newest disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, and John, and they're just soaking it in. They can't get enough of Jesus. But everybody else crammed into that room. They are a bunch of brightly clothed, rich, really religious lawyers and politicians. And they are not there to hear Jesus. They are there to hate Jesus. They are there to pick him apart because they've heard that Jesus healed a leper. Oh yeah, right. That has never happened in the history of Israel. They have heard, word on the street, is that Jesus has cast out demons. People have been set free from all the evil that controlled them. And they're like, no stinking way. No one has ever done that, ever. We don't believe it. And what brought them to Capernaum from Jerusalem was the news that on one particular night, standing in the doorway of this very house, Jesus healed all kinds of people of all kinds of diseases. This has got to stop. Somebody has got to silence this man. That's why they're there. <laughs> and in that moment, bam, the walls of the house begin to tremble. The roof is shaking and pound, pound, pound. And finally, a pole pounds all the way through. Pierces the whole dirt, debris falls on the audience. I mean, it just keeps going. The, the, the pole keeps piercing the roof. When the hole is big enough, hands, we can see four sets of hands reaching in and just tearing the roof apart, tearing out limbs. Dirt and debris, everybody in the room below covered with dirt and debris. And now the hole is huge, maybe five feet by five feet. And as we wipe our eyes, we see a mat of some sort being lowered through the hole. And there's a rope attached to each corner of the mat. And as the mat gets down to eye level, we see there's a man in the mat. And as it lowers, we, there's something wrong with this guy. I mean, he's holding on to the edge of the mat with his hands, his head's up, he can move his shoulders, but as he lays on the floor, we can see now his legs are grotesque. Just lifeless, twisted sticks. And the first instinct is unclean. And as the crowd in the house presses away from the man, Jesus presses in. Jesus goes down beside the man. It's going to be okay. It's going to be better. 
then okay. Jesus looks up at the four guys looking down from the hole in the roof. He sees more than their faces. He sees their faith. Faith is everything to Jesus. That's all, their faith, that's all he needs to work with. So he bows his head over this paralytic with his lifeless limbs. And it's as if he's praying. And then with a voice that staggers everyone in the room, just like they got hit in the face with a wet t-shirt, Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. A moment of silence and then angry snorts and gasp erupt. And those really religious politicians, in their minds they're thinking, who does this jerk think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus says, you got that right. No, Jesus reads their mind. And he says, I'll show you who I am. I am. I am, that's God's name. In Greek, ego me. In Hebrew, Yahweh. I'll show you I am God. And to prove that I can forgive sin as only God can forgive sin, I will completely heal and restore this man. And he just locks eyes with those guys. I mean, they are ready to kill. Then having claimed to be God, Jesus looks down at the man, says six words, be healed, get up, go home. Now, can you imagine the tension created by those six simple words in that room? I mean, can you imagine the tension in the really religious guys? They're like, this is out of control. This is chaos. Somebody's gonna stop this guy. Can, can you imagine the tension in the men, the friends on the roof? Jesus says those words, be healed, get up, go home. And they're like, was our faith enough to pay off? Our trust in Jesus enough to pay off? And the disciples, those four guys sitting in the front row, can you imagine their tension? Man, if nothing happens, we're gonna look like the biggest losers around. The man on the mat, can you imagine the tension in him? I heard Jesus say it, I'm healed. Am I? Can I get up? Are my sins forgiven? Here's how Mark closes out the scene. The man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we have never seen anything like this before. <laughs> never seen a leper healed. Never seen demons cast out and chased back into the pit of hell. And we have never seen a paralyzed man restored. Never seen anything like, now I gotta be real with you. Not everybody was amazed and praised God. The word all in the text is the Greek word pause. And it means as many as. As many as were amazed. And as many as were amazed, they praised God. But the really religious politicians, they were not amazed. They were infuriated. Their thoughts went from maddening to murderous. In fact, scholars tell us that this, by this action, 
by his words, by the words, your sins are forgiven. Jesus seals his destiny to die on a cross. The, the shadow of the cross now looms largely over this little house in Capernaum. And here's the deal. What's up with Jesus? I mean, if Jesus had simply healed the man, everybody would be happy. The guys on the roof would be happy. The disciples, they'd be high-fiving and busting knuckles. That's our rabbi. That's our teacher. This is awesome. The onlookers would be happy. Everybody would be happy if Jesus had just settled for a healing. Now, to be real, the really religious politicians, there's nothing and nobody that could make them happy. So why does Jesus begin with a provocative statement, son, your sins are forgiven? Why doesn't he just heal the guy? Because Jesus knew what we need to know. More than a healer, more than a healer, we need the hope of a savior. Because of our, because of our sin. I mean, what do you think the guy felt um, when Jesus said, first words out of his mouth to this guy, son, your sins are forgiven. I mean, you take his place, okay? He's up, off, he's gone. You lay down in front of Jesus and you tell Jesus your most painful problem. You say like, Lord, I am crippled by my financial difficulties. Lord, I, I am paralyzed by all the conflict in my family. Lord, I am crippled by my mental health issues. Lord, I am paralyzed by my addiction. Help me, Lord, show mercy. And what if after you have just puked out all your pain, Jesus says, child, your sins are forgiven. What would you say? Uh, Lord, uh, thanks, I think. But what about my money? What about my marriage? What about my emotions? What about me? You see, that guy, he lays, the guy on the mat, he thinks his biggest problem is his paralysis. Jesus sees that his greatest problem is his sin. You see, it's our sin, yours and mine, that separates us from God. It's our sin that separates us from the superabundant life of Jesus. Our sin separates us from joy. Our sin separates us from hope. Our sin separates us from love and peace. It's our sin that must be dealt with first. Jesus would say, first things first. I forgive your sin. Um, now, when Jesus said those words, whether he's saying them to you and he, he's longing to speak them over your life, he's longing to declare you not guilty of any sin. He's longing to say, my child, your sins are forgiven. The slate is wiped clean. You are a new creation. All the old, is, all the old gross is gone. All the new, all the beauty of the new has come. He wants to speak over your life. Your sins are forgiven. When he said those words to that man, it was not a glib statement. If those words came out of Jesus' mouth, he knew it would cost him his very life. Because in order to fully forgive that man of his sins, Jesus had to be executed on a bloodstained cross. Nothing else would do. Not his words. He could only back up his words by dying on a cross. Same is true for you. 
When Jesus forgives you your sins, that forgiveness is paid for by his shed blood on the cross. Only Christ's shed blood can make our sins forgiven. So when Jesus is on the cross dying in your place, he's your substitute. On the cross, he's taking all the punishment you deserve for your sin. He's taking all God's anger, all God's judgment, all God's condemnation, do you for your sin. And because he was willing to be paralyzed with pain on the cross, we get to walk forgiven and free. Because he was crippled in the crucifixion, we get to live in peace and assurance that all of our sins are covered by the blood of Christ. And when God raised him from the dead three days later, that like sealed the deal. This is forever for everyone who believes. If you believe that Jesus died for your sins and God raised him from the dead, you are forgiven of all past, present, and future sins. My child, your sins are forgiven. And I died to make it so. And I rose from the dead to make it forever. But there's more. Jesus doesn't stop simply with forgiving the man's sins. He goes on to miraculously exert the power of God to heal the man's lifeless legs. Same is true for me and you. Yeah, he wants to forgive our sins. But he wants to go on and heal us of the cancer and help us through our unemployment and resolve the conflicts in our, our marriage. And the same blood that covers our sin, it's the same blood that makes possible the, 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 the resolve of all the painful impossibility. All, I mean, you can have financial healing and physical healing and emotional healing and relationships healed, but it only happens by the power of the shed blood of Jesus. Here's what scripture says, Isaiah 53, by his wounds, we are healed. And so today, as I, and last night and at eight o'clock and at nine o'clock and in this service, as I come around to greet you, when you ask me to pray for you, I ask that Jesus apply his nail-pierced hands to your need for a job, to the tumors that you're fighting with radiation and chemo, his nail-pierced hands. Every young lady who comes and asks me to pray over her pregnancy, I ask that Jesus apply his nail-pierced hands to her womb as he forms and knits fearfully and wonderfully the little one within her because anything, anything marvelous, anything merciful, anything miraculous that happens in our lives happens by the shed blood of Christ. So Jesus knew both when he forgave the sins and when he, when he healed the man, it was gonna cost him everything. It was gonna mean an execution on the cross, but he would yield his spirit to God and God would raise him from the dead. You see, hope for all our painful problems is in Christ's shed blood. So you know how to make the word of God really come alive? When you hear it or when you read it, you connect with one of the characters in the story. So in this story, uh, we've got uh, Jesus and let's take Jesus off the table because I'm not Jesus, you're not Jesus, but the guys on the roof, the really religious uh, politician, lawyer guys, the guy on the mat, 
with whom, with whom do you most closely identify? I mean, is it the guys on the roof? Are you right now uh, every day praying and calling out to God the names of your friends and family, coworkers, neighbors, classmates who need a touch of Jesus, who need forgiveness from Jesus, who need to experience what you've experienced in him? Are you praying for them every day and looking for opportunities to invite them to come to church with you? You may not be Jesus, but you are most like Jesus when you are praying for friends and family and neighbors and coworkers who need him. When you invite them and bring them, that's when you are most like Jesus. Are those guys the characters with, with which you most closely identify? Or is it the really religious guys? Maybe you've come, you're here, but you've come with skepticism. You've heard what other people say that Jesus has done for them, but you're suspicious. In fact, I mean, you're cynical that Jesus could do it for you or would even want to do something for you. In fact, your cynicism, your suspicion, your skepticism has created a closed heart and a closed mind toward Jesus. I just wanted to ask you, have your doubts, your suspicions, your skepticism about the faith caused you to be narrow-minded about Jesus? Because Jesus is here. He is present right now in the air you breathe, just hovering in your personal space. And he's whispering over your soul. Don't close your mind. Open your mind and I'll fill it with my truth. Open your heart and I'll fill it with my love, my joy, my peace. Open your life and I'll fill it with my life. He's inviting you to, to drop your cynicism, your doubts, your skepticism and trust him. That's gonna be okay. It's gonna be better then okay. Or, or what about the guy on the mat? He's gone, the mat's gone. He picked it up, he walked out. But, and you, can you imagine that guy walking out of the room? Can you imagine what he was saying to onlookers as they were slapping him on the back? And that is unbelievable. He was going, my sins are forgiven and I can walk. <laughs> my sins are forgiven, bonus, I can walk. My sins are forgiven and I can walk. You see, anybody that's willing to lay down in front of Jesus and surrender, you can walk out of this room today and you can be saying to your spouse or your kids, hey, my sins are forgiven. I receive the forgiveness. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe God raised him from the dead. I'm forgiven and I trust him to work to the best in my finances. I'm forgiven of my sins and I trust him to be good in my marriage. I'm forgiven and I trust him to heal me of my mental health issues, my physical issues, my addiction issues. Ah, my sins are forgiven and bonus, God is good to me. So if you're willing, that space in front of Jesus is, is vacated and you can lay down there. And you can, you can receive forgiveness of your sins right now today. About 11 o'clock this past Wednesday, middle-aged guy shows up here, wants to be baptized. He's a guy that comes to our 815 service all the time, but because of his work, that was the best time. In our last service, just at nine o'clock, it was a 10-year-old boy baptized. 
Um, we're always ready. The apostle Paul says, when you are baptized, your sins are washed away. Jesus says it, God does it, and you are cleansed of all guilt and shame. You can get up. You can go home forgiven, free, trusting that God is at work to your good. I would love everyone here to walk out of this space when this service is off online for you to know with full confidence all your sins, past, present, and future are covered in the blood of Christ. So I want to pray over you. I'd like for you to stand with me now if you would please. Receive this prayer for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive this prayer to receive Jesus, to surrender fully to him. And, you know, we're, we're, we're ready to help you experience Jesus as you never have before in the waters of baptism. To be buried with him, put your past behind you, bury your baggage, have your sins washed away, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead raise you up, walk in newness of life, new creation. The old, it's gone. The new has come. Let's pray about it. Would you bow with me, please? Our Father God, you are an amazing king that you would send your one and only son to die in our place for our sin, to take the punishment, the penalty, the consequence we deserve, to take it all in himself and by his shed blood, forgiveness is possible for us. And you raised Jesus from the dead to seal the deal and make it real. Thank you, Father. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you settle on this room, settle on all these hearts that you bring conviction of sin, Lord, because our tendency is to lie to ourselves and say, well, you know, I'm not that bad. I wouldn't say I was a sinner. I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I'm way a lot better than most people I know. But maybe today's the day, Holy Spirit, that you help us stop lying to ourselves and surrender to Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you provide forgiveness of sins, that you provide new life. Accept our lives now as we lift them up to you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We give our lives to you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.